Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Okay, today I'm so excited. I've been trying to get Mikey on here for quite a while and finally succeeded. And I'm going to give a whole rambling thing of how we know each other. But before you even came on camera, you're shuffling through papers and you said, I'm doing something with Shakespearean insults. And I went, oh, this is going to be a fun one today. <laughs> and so I know you way back from Hello Hollywood, Hello, and from um, Puerto Rico. But we'll, we'll kind of go through all this fun stuff of, of how much fun we had in Puerto Rico and all the disasters we avoided or were part of. But I'm just really grateful that you said yes, because I have been seeing you on Facebook and I see you pop up in my other friends' pictures and the overlap is, is so great. But yeah, just thanks for taking the time to do this, because for me, it's just a good excuse to get to connect with a, an old friend. And we had a lot of fun back in our Puerto Rican days. <laughs> so Mikey, where are you now? And then I want to ask where you grew up and started dancing, because even though I worked with you, I'm not sure how much of your story I really know. I'm, I live in Arizona in Phoenix, but I live in Scottsdale um, and I work in Phoenix at a high school in Phoenix, downtown Phoenix or Phoenix, it's the major part of Phoenix. Um, where did I grew up? I grew up just south of here. I'm very close to my old neighborhood. Obviously. Really? I've come full circle. Um, I do work for the same school district, but I do not uh, work for the same high school. Um, so that's where I am. And that's fun. Like I like to hear what people do after their showgirl days. Cause you know, you're not going to do this till you're 80 and some of the transitions are harder. Some of them are natural, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll kind of, I think we'll go sequential because I am hoping that your Shakespearean insults have something to do with your teaching. <laughs> it's not just because. They do. No, it's not just because. It's because <laughs> I've been working on curriculum for days now. Yes. Cause I'm so <sighs> finishing my winter break so I start school tomorrow so I'm that's why we had to fit this in now because I think when we've tried before you've been like oh, so teaching yeah. in the midst of a pandemic which I'm sure is harder and so like there's a time there's a day let's do it before it goes away yeah. so what was your upbringing as far as dance and um, like what were your like were you going to be a dancer or going to college because I curious like um, where even teaching I, comes in my mother sent took me to dance when I was in my when I was 10 well I started dancing before that in somebody's kitchen her name was Marilyn that's all I know she <laughs> was a teenager and we would stand in her kitchen and hold on to the side and do a ballet bar I don't remember much <laughs> else then I quit because I wanted to be in Girl Scouts and then I went back when I was 10 my mother my dad's six four and my mother knew that I would be tall and so she said uh, to herself, I want her to be able to carry herself well, so I'm going to take her to dance class. And by 10, you know, uh, I went to an RAD studio, but by 10, you've missed the boat pretty much. And so I was in like the Thursday evening uh, teen girl, the odd, the odd balls type class, but I loved it. I loved it. Um, one day when I was at that studio, I saw an announcement for... Um, an audition for Ballet West's um, The Nutcracker. So they would come from University of Utah, the Utah area, and they would come to our Frank Lloyd Wright Theater, which is called Gamage, and they would put on nut, The Nutcracker, and children from all over the valley would go and audition to be part of it. Well, I was, as I said, I was a once a weeker. I had one leotard, um, and the audition was at Arizona State University. They did not really have dance studios that I saw. This was a long time ago. We literally went to the PE building and um, I walked down the hall and my mother, this was back in the day, you know, we had no cell phones. There was no, not even a pay phone. My mother was kind of like one of those stop, drop and roll moms. Like, okay, I'll pick you up later. You don't know when she's coming. You just know she's coming back at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so. 
I, I remember going down this long hallway where uh, and my mother was long gone and um, it was dark and I got down to the end of this hallway and there was a table set up with these mothers. There's always the mothers, you know, and there were all these little girls. I was five nine when I was in seventh grade. So there were all these little girls with, and I already had boobs and everything. And, and these little girls with their the backs cut out of their leotards and they got their legs up like this and they're on point and they're doing multiple turns. And I'm like, oh, I am in the wrong place. Oh. I was like mortified. But uh, the lady said, oh, do you need, you need to sign in? You need to give us your name. Here's your number, pin it to your leotard. And I just stood there petrified. What am I getting myself into? And those little girls, by the way, ended up going places like American Ballet Theater and Pennsylvania Ballet, which I don't even know if it exists anymore. Anyway, so at some point, this little tiny Asian lady, Sandra Sugai comes out and she said, please come in. We went in and she said, I am going to give you, I will tell you what the exercise is and then you will do it. And she had a table in front of her and she had a pencil. So she gave us the first exercise. It was just, she wanted us to do a bar. And she said, five, six, seven, eight, and one, two, three, four. And I was like, what the hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> so I went through, I just kept going through it, going through it, the whole thing. Then it got really scary. Uh, this was a huge moment in my life. It got really scary because she said, I'm going to put you in groups and you're going to come out to the center of the stage. And in groups, you're going to do uh, center work. So she gave us the center work and then she started calling us by number and we had, and I was like, oh my God, they're going to look at me. Those other dancers, they're going to see me and they're going to see how inadequate I am. And, and so about that time I became fixated with an exit sign. And I thought, I, I thought I got to leave. I got to get out of here. I got to go. I, I don't want to be in the middle. I don't want to be seen. And I couldn't decide. I'm like, do I have enough guts? I was, I was ruminating over whether I had enough guts to see and be seen or whether I had enough guts to walk out and be seen walking out. Mm. And I was, did not have the courage to walk out. So I stayed and I just went through it. Um, at the end, she came and got me and pulled me and she said, I want you uh, uh shades of things i want you to walk from one end of the room to the other and she demonstrated it and she showed me and so i walked and then she went and got this other really tall girl she goes i want you to walk across the room and she said i have a special part for you. you will be a lady in waiting and all you're going to do is walk onto stage and stand give me a second act walk on stage and stand there while the sugar plum fairy comes out and clara's out and everybody's introduced to the second act and um that was that was the end of that, and um, we started rehearsing. I don't then that was maybe in September. We started her rehearsing with a woman who had been a part of uh, Ballet West when it was called like Utah Civic Ballet or something. She lived here locally, and every every week, uh, I don't know how many times a week, I would go to the studio and we would learn our parts. And and of course, those little girls were in. They had da real dance to do, but I did that same part, nothing else. I did that same part from 13 through 16, 17, probably 16. Like when I was a senior in high school, I was still doing that same part and every year. And so, but another thing that occurred is that Judy, the lady that trained us said one day, and I had no notion of dance whatsoever. She said, if you wanna be a real dancer, you have to take class every day. So I told my mom, I'm like, mom, Judy said, if I want to be a dancer, I have to study, I have to take class every day. And my mom, this is one of the best stories of my mom. My mom said, let me see what I can do. And let me, uh, let me talk to your dad. And my mom and dad paid for me to go to class every day. Oh. And over the years, it became more than one class every day. And um, but that was huge. And then, so I did that same thing every year, every year. And then um, the last thing that was, you know, the uh, San Francisco Ballet, Ballet West were um, 
were run or begun by two the Christensen brothers, William Christensen, and then the other guy. Anyway, <laughs> he's act. The other guy's actually more famous. He's the one that started San Francisco. William Christensen started Ballet West. Well, when I got older, I was invited to take company class. And that was enormous. That was so huge. And I remember being with the company and being really intimidated because they would give long series of exercises. He wouldn't just give like, you know, degages or tendus. It would be tendus, degages, and this and that. And it would be a long, a long uh, segment. Um, not long, long, but longer than I was used to. Um, and then we did something across the floor and he stopped, he, did, he just didn't really stop the class. He just said, this little girl from Phoenix can jump. And I was, I was like, oh my God, he's talking about me. Oh. I can jump, you know what I mean? Anyway, this was a huge part of my life. And um, throughout that period, I studied, I studied with more than one teacher, sometimes several classes a day towards the end. Um, uh, I found actually one of my instrumental teachers, uh, I left that RAD studio. I met another teacher who came who had been on Broadway and then I followed him away from that studio. And I also met a teacher who became very instrumental who um, had been a, uh, he was a third generation American Ballet Theater teacher. And he had been a principal with American Ballet Theater. He's been on in movies and like uh, Daddy Long Legs and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. He's in that. <laughs> and so I met all these great people. And um, then one of the ladies who had done jazz in, in Vegas and in LA, she said, to, I was studying with her and she actually was teaching a Pilates, which I didn't realize until all these years. And it made us so, we were so strong. But the hundred was she, we kept our legs on the floor and I'm not sure why, but we did a form of Pilates that made all of us really strong. Anyway, she came to me one day and said, and I'm almost done, I promise. <laughs> said, um, there's an audition in Vegas and I think you are what they are looking for. And that was Don Arden and Fluff. And so I, begged my, I don't know why my mother, I was raised very religious. I don't know why my mother agreed to take me. She now tells people, well, that's what you wanted. Well, it wouldn't have happened if she, it wasn't what she wanted. That, yeah. I didn't have the money to do that. So she got my dad, she and my dad and I all went to Vegas and we went to the audition. They came with you. Wow. They brought me. Yeah, they brought me. We stayed in a hotel and I just auditioned all day, as you know. Yeah. Day, and then um, I was offered the job and, you know, then a contract came. My dad did not want me to come. He did really? Not, he did not want this. Did they see the show? Yeah, we saw the show. Yeah, he was not, he was not happy about this. And my yeah. mom was Anyway. Wow. So did you, did you do a big cattle call audition or was it a private yeah. or? Okay. I think because when I talked to somebody recently, like I didn't put it together till, till doing the podcast, when I auditioned in Vegas for Hello, Hollywood, Hello, I've heard, they said like 300. I remember just hearing this number. It was a, a long thing. And so there was three of us that got hired from there up there. And so I didn't really realize like, oh, that's a big stinking deal to make it through a cattle call because what Don Art is looking for, what Miss Bluebell wants. So I just remember the audition being big, but only three of us coming to be put in the show. So like, it's not to be like a braggart. It's like, oh my gosh, I did not realize of how amazing that opportunity is of how many people audition, how few, even though that's a big cast, there's a lot of people that want those jobs down there. I never thought about that ever, but yeah, it was, there was, yeah, there were a lot of, and I had this, I had this great girlfriend. She'd gone to high school with me. She had, she, she, her parents were like um, very liberal. Her mother taught art at our high school and her father was a humanities professor and a musician. And so she'd been raised much. picture she told me to write a letter to fluff prior to arriving there um, she prepared me with she had me work on a ballet combo and a jazz combo in case I was asked um, she had me all set up she told me I had to have a bikini which I did um, anyway 
so Zoe, my girlfriend that I'd gone to high school with, she was totally like had this thing all figured out and she did work in Vegas and I did run into her again, but she's like, listen to me. She said, do not go to the back of the line. Don't go behind everyone. Don't go in back. She goes, go up front. She said, put yourself in front, get over, you know, get over it. Just put yourself up there and be seen. And then she said, and if you have choreography questions, when you get over to the side and you're waiting for your turn, um, ask people, even if those girls are, are not nice to you about it, she goes, ask them for help, ask them questions. And I was like, Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Did Don Arden say anything to you or, or like, no, like I remember hearing him say you're fat, you're ugly to other people. So by the time you get on stage, you're afraid what he's going to do to you, but you escaped that. I escaped that until, um, after my daughter was born, I auditioned, you know what fluff, God bless her. She took me back after two babies and, um, which I will, uh, will always, she, she did so, she was so good to me anyway. So after the, after my daughter, I went back and, um, he called me down. He, he came up to the stage and looked at me and looked to another girl next to me. And he said, he looked at me and he goes, get your body together. And I wasn't even that fat. I'm way fatter now. He goes, get your body together. And I think you got a job. And he looks at the other girl and he goes, you have too many moles. Not this time. <laughs> oh my god over it was over wow yeah there's this things like somebody's told their chin is too short or something like that like i can't fix that but yeah, yeah it's like you just have to stand there and take it where nowadays that that would not fly no. so when you went in hello hollywood you came or hallelujah hollywood you came as a replacement for someone did you stay to the end of that did well you said you weren't there for the you came into the the opening no, of the whole they auditioned they auditioned in I auditioned for Hello Hollywood Hello in Vegas. And oh for Hallelujah, but Hallelujah you came in. No, no, I just no, I auditioned for in Vegas in Vegas for Hello Hollywood Hello. But had and Hallelujah Hollywood already closed or did you done with one contract and then moved up to no, Reno? I, no. Uh, I went into Hallelujah Hollywood for I think I was only there a year. I was just like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. I hate, I, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I think I was there a year. And then I was just like, Ugh. ready for so something. I came home and I worked in a store for a while and I got fatter. And, um, and then I said to my mom, I'm like, I'm gonna go back to dance class. So I went back to dance class and then there was a whole series of things that occurred, but um, anyway. Did you come into Hello Hollywood Hello at the beginning of the show or after the show had been running? No, it was, it been on for a while. I don't, I don't even know what year it started. And I it started in 78. I came at the end of 79 to 80, but you and I were the show at the same time. And I didn't know if you were or had been there for a while. Cause you were a blue belt. I was a tall nude. We were like a football field away from each other. Those dressing rooms were so far away that people bad. are so amazed that we could work with someone and never see them. But I remember once in a while going, you know, through the bathrooms to the blue bell line. Yeah. And I, because Carl and I got to be friends. So we, I don't think we had any interaction in the show, which is so bizarre. Cause you were yeah. a dancer. You're not a singer at that point. And then I was at the end of my contract and I, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I'd hear people talk about Acapulco or all these other places, Paris. And so I was kind of at the end of the year, like I'm ready for something else. And Carlin told me like, there's a show in Puerto Rico. And then I met you. I think we talked in between shows that they needed dancers. We didn't have to audition. I don't know how you found out, but I was like, that's what I'm doing next. I'm going to Puerto Rico with these two fabulous ladies. I barely know, but I trust them. <laughs> how yeah. did you find out about that show? Um, Barry called me. Had you worked for him before? Yes, I had. Yeah. So you worked with Barry before you came and I didn't realize what a big deal he was to be a, a Ashton girl. Uh, I interviewed Pat Merle, but I did. I think I just you interviewed I, Pat Merle and Pat was my company manager in, in Montreal. I never knew she was a rocket. I didn't know she had worked in Vegas. I didn't know her whole thing. I didn't know she was a rocket. I worked for her at the, at the Lido and um, I was not that, you know, the lead. It, Anyway. There was a lot of stuff I've heard that went down, right? Probably the time you were there. Of the yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff went down. I was fired twice. First time I was fired because of my nose. Second was that Frank Rosenthal, Rosenthal saying? Yes. She was telling me how horrible. Like she'd sit there while he'd say to say these awful things to fire people. I'm like, 
how do you run a show with him just like randomly just deciding to fire people? Well, after he fired me because of my nose, I had a bad attitude. I was 21 and I'm just like, who does he think he is? <laughs> and uh, so then I got myself fired again and I was just like, I don't care. I'm going to go to Acapulco and work there. So I did. You did oh, boy, you did a lot. So where does Puerto Rico fit into this? It's after Hello Hollywood because we left together and had our rehearsals. Okay, so you did all that. So after Acapulco was Reno, then Puerto Rico, then back to Vegas, then Jubilee, then Mulan, then Jubilee, 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 forever. Wow. So let's talk about Puerto Rico. Um, rehearsals, because we rehearsed in LA. I remember it was on Santa Monica Boulevard. Like, just like, I'm in LA. Just thinking I was going to see movie I'm stars everywhere. Santa Monica Boulevard. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had been there before with the other show for Barry. Yeah. Moral Landis? Wait, was that the studio? No, where do we rehearse? I, was it Moral Landis? I just remember walking there in the morning. It was a great walk. It was beautiful. Yeah. And I remember that the vibe was such that I wanted to go inside at night and lock the door. I don't know. We were in a pretty sketchy area, which yeah. we'll talk about what happened there. But yeah, I just remember the rehearsals and Freddie, the choreographer, and we had people, there's a couple of girls that were Cuban, Puerto Rican, like we were kind of a fun mix from people from all over. Some people, their first show, some others. Yeah. I don't remember. I remember other shows I did. I hardly remember anything. I remember we did New York, New York. We did a salute number and then an Egyptian number and a couple of showgirl things. We had gorgeous costumes on that tiny, tiny stage. And the stage was a cave. Like they were, the inside of the theater was like a cave. It was a really bizarre theater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's talk about rehearsals first. We have so many Puerto Rico stories, which we'll, we have to get into because they're probably the weirdest part of my timeline of things that happened in Puerto Rico. So I had to confirm with you who was who, because you and Carlin and I, and we lost Carlin this a couple of years ago and her and I finally reconnected after all this time we found each other, talked for three hours. And then I talked to her about going to the Hello Hollywood reunion and she passed right soon around that time. And it was just so sad to lose her all these years and then find her again. When did she pass? Like January 19? Yeah, it was before COVID because I know like, yeah, we were going to go, it was a Hello Hollywood, we were going to maybe go and be roommates together. And then she found out she had the brain tumor, or she had the brain tumor, she just knew it wasn't looking well. And my dad died at that same month as well. Really? Yeah. Oh, she was an amazingly beautiful, wonderful, sweet girl. And we'll, we'll I wanted to do a tribute to her and it's just trying to get us all together to do it. So we're going to, we'll put her in our story here. But she was, we were in this pretty sketchy hotel. And you and I were in queen Tropicana. beds next. It's called the What's it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I just, yeah, I remember just being like, I guess it locked the door. She was facing our beds. Our beds were side by side and she was across the room and she saw this because somebody broke into our room and you and I were in a dead sleep. She's trying to act like, like she's frozen. We both sit up with her eyes open and turn her head and look at him. She said it looked like zombies had just come out of the earth. We came up, we looked at him and we laid back down. And I guess his face, like he was freaked out. He ran out, but he was going through our purses. And then we woke up and like, wait, was somebody just in our room and Carlin watched the whole thing. But she said, we were like totally in sync, turn, freak him out and leave. No, that was no. the best story from Puerto Rico was, uh, I think did, did everybody go home at some point and then come back? No, 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 no. We, Carlin went home. Okay. So after Reno, Carlin, uh, my, my dad came up and my brother came up and we packed up my stuff and we drove home and Carlin, I don't know if she didn't have anywhere to go. I can't remember why, but she went with me home. We went home. Oh yeah. yeah. Here, uh, where my parents used to live in the house that I spent most of my growing up years. And, um, we drove all the way from Reno to Phoenix, which is quite a drive. And my little brother was with us and we, he rode with us quite a bit. And we talked to talk to talk to talk to talk. Anyway, um, you, uh, this was, I love this story. You like we, so we got to, we got to LA and we got into the hotel, but you weren't there yet. And you, you were at the hotel. Remember you were at the airport late at night and the guys from Dallas, like yes. you to the hotel. Can you imagine? 
that whole story was so bizarre because I think I was supposed to meet people and, and no one was there at the airport and I didn't know how to get anywhere. I didn't know where I don't have an address. We didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have cell phones. So I'm trying to use a payphone and call the, I think I had one number to figure out how do I get to the hotel where, cause no one, I think I thought someone was picking me up and I'm on the phone and Patrick Duffy, who was on, on Dallas was watching me and he goes, are you a dancer? He goes, are you okay? Cause I was crying and he goes, are you okay? I'm like, well, I supposed to ask me to pick me up. I don't know where they are. And he goes, um, asked him as a dancer. He goes, I knew you were a dancer. Cause you have a dancer's butt. And that's what he said to me. And he said, my wife's a dancer and she has a dancer's butt. So this was our interaction. And then Steve Canale, who was Ray Krebs on the show was kind of quiet, sat next to him. So I was like trying to figure out, he goes, do you know what area you're staying in? I'm like, it's, I gave, I had an address. He goes, we can take you there. And I'm like, what? So we walk out of the airport and it was right at the cliffhanger of who shot JR was happening. So at the airport, people are like, who shot JR? And they're like, people are, you know, it wasn't the paparazzi, but people are asking questions. I'm just standing there with them, like kind of still freaked out. And he goes, oh, our limo's coming. No, he goes, our car's coming. So their car comes up and it was a Volkswagen bug. And I thought they were kidding. I thought like, goes, did you expect a chauffeur? I was like, well, kind of. So I had to sit on the gear shift between the two of them. Every time he had to shift, I had to lift up and he would have to reach and pull. It was a little inappropriate when I think of it now. But I, I, wrote, I told him a song I wrote. He goes, oh, you should give that to Bette Midler. We laughed. And then he brought me to the room to make sure I got in. And you guys opened the door. I think you've been sleeping. And I'm standing there with Patrick Duffy. And you go, oh. Okay. And then I came in like, what? Yeah. And then he came back and he kissed me. I don't know if I should share that part. He, anyway, that was a little bit bizarre. A married man. Yeah. So that was my beginning of Puerto All my weirdest stories have to do with that time period that you're in. Yeah. So then we went to rehearsals and, and then I remember getting to Puerto Rico and it was beautiful, but we just had good and awful things happen there. You and I, I remember trying to explain this because the taxis wouldn't take us because we lived too close. And we got off work so late. So we would walk home at midnight or some crazy hour. We yeah, we would. Once? We, we lived in the hotel for a little bit, a bit. And then we moved to an apartment. I remember like Greg and Roy were there, but sometimes they would walk. Expensive. It was so expensive. We would have to walk. And so we're walking and this car pulls up. I want to hear your memory of this because you were also pregnant, which is terrifying when I think of that story too. I've, I've shared this in class with students before and one day this kid I stopped and everybody's just looking at me like you know kids they're they're just like who cares you know but this one kid looks at me goes sounds like you lying and I'm like (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I said oh I have to watch my sarcasm so much I said you know what I said I think that's the phrase I said anything you say from now on I'm gonna look at you and say sounds like you lying (laughs) (laughs) because it does it was like just so bizarre like they pulled up really fast they got out and they were speaking Spanish like something so bolsa and I had it in my dance bag which is full of dance stinky dance clothes and he threw it and he pointed for my bolsa but they had guns they pointed the guns at us I I feel like one guy, I think there was the driver and then one guy got out and he, yeah. And so we gave him our purses. I think he, I can't remember. I may have this wrong. I think he pointed the gun. Like you had, you had a baby in your tummy and that was, what was also frightening. Cause then we got back and we, we walked back. I don't think it hit us yet. Like we think we're mostly normal. And I remember calling my parents. My dad was like, do you want to come home? Like, I'm okay. And we went up and saw Greg and Roy and told them, and they were like, Oh my God, you could have been killed. And then we both started crying. Like, Oh my God, we could have, I think it was an after it was delayed reaction. We were in shock. Like, Oh my gosh, we just had guns pulled on us or a gun pulled on us and then go back to work the next day and life goes on. But that's, that was really freaky. Cause we like, I remember asking like, what if they had told us to get in the car? Like, you know, that's where it ends a lot for a lot of people. So we, survived it but there was so much stuff we had stuff stolen from our dressing room stuff from our I remember going to the gym and stuff was stolen out of the lockers things were yeah it was there was a lot of theft and a lot of a lot of scary moments I love Puerto Rico but it was not a safe place to be a young female I don't know if you remember this but backstage uh I had I used to chew gum in the western number and I'd come in there be bites missing out of it and there was like mice or rats back there and I think you were still in the show in the saloon number. We had the Betty Grable kind of wig that hung with the curls. I don't know who I, I want to say it's you, but I could be wrong. It might have been Debbie. 
put it on. There's a cockroach hanging, like a giant cockroach hanging in her wig. And we'd have to shake our costumes out to, to make sure there's no cockroaches. And I can't remember her name. If you were in the show then, but she would, in the blacklight number where we were uh, with the elastic and the blacklight, we had black, we had to hold on the stage and they would come through the potestes would come, or potestes would come through with the elastic. I can't remember. She would put her shoes on right before she went on stage in the dark and she crunched. She had a, a cockroach in her shoe. So she starts running and screaming while the number's going on and you could just see her teeth. And we were all like tangled because she was running the wrong direction. There's just so many things that we dealt with in Puerto Rico that is unique. To, it's very different than being in a Don Arden show. <laughs> so what are your memories of Puerto Rico? Because you weren't there the whole contract because yeah. you went, you went home, you held it and <laughs> hid that tummy as long as you could. Yeah. Um, that was really, really sad when you left because we were, you and Carla and I were roommates. And so we had, we had a good deal going there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I remember um, we took a red eye from LA. I remember just feeling like, oh, you know what warmed over because we yeah. got there and we, they said, okay, let's go to rehearsal. And so we, or maybe we slept a little bit, but I just remember going to rehearsal and just feeling like crap. I remember the food for the most part was disappointing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, well, first of all, I went with the perception of, oh, this is going to be just like Mexico. And you know, Mexico, the produce, I mean, I, the freshness of everything. And, and in, in uh, Puerto Rico, it was like, uh, oh no, we fly this over in from Miami and all this kind of stuff. Oh. So, and I remember the salad bars being really expensive, like $10 for a salad bar, which doesn't seem like a lot nowadays, but it was a lot. That then. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I got food poisoning for opening night and I was so sick. I don't think I did opening because I remember like I had both ends going and junior was like, you need to do, I'm like, I don't think diarrhea and fishnets is a good combination. I don't think you want me on stage. But I got food poisoning my first week there. So I don't, I don't know that I made it to opening night, which made everybody probably have to readjust because that's not that big of a cast. But I don't remember opening night. I don't remember rehearsals. That's what's so bizarre. I don't remember getting there. I don't remember. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> and they, and uh, I don't know if Barry was there or somebody. They're like, okay, they come up to me and they go, okay, we need you to stage the show. Like we just got there and they told me you need to stage the show on this stage. Freddie wasn't there oh. the show on this stage stage the show. And I was just like, what the hell? And so I don't even know what I did. I didn't argue. I didn't wail or I just was like, okay, I'm staging the show. Oh. And I remember being a uh, captain and there we had, to, we had rehearsals. Um, I, I don't know. I remember Freddie telling me that I was such a bitch. <laughs> really? He told me I had to get, I should get laid because I wasn't sexy enough. When we do the saloon thing, we're supposed to bend over and we're supposed to take our capes and show our butt. And I would always make it where my cape covered my butt. So that's not a position I want to expose. And he was like, you need to get laid. Yeah. So that was, that was that. A lot of these things just would not, would not fly. And you brought up something when we were in rehearsals in LA, we were there for Thanksgiving. I remember like we were sad. We were away from family. Tell, tell how you remember that Thanksgiving. Oh, I just remember we went to um, a really nice restaurant. I, I don't, I, I, I thought it was very, very nice. Um, I, I just remember sitting there kind of watching everybody. Um, I thought Wolf was, you know, Wolf like laid into me as well later, but I thought he, I don't know. I, did, I never really warmed up to him very much. He was he a bit was scary. Warmer. He was scary. Um, I don't know. It was, that was a really nice night, actually. I just remember him saying like, girls or like, go put on your best shift or something. And he kind of like walked us through like all these, all these dancers walking into Beverly Hills. And we went to his, his house in Beverly Hills. I remember just like, I'd never seen a house like that before. I was like, wow, it's yeah. rich. Very old Hollywood kind of looking. Very old yeah. Hollywood. Uh, he lived in Beverly Hills. It was a very old Hollywood kind of residence i thought it was really beautiful um and he remember he, he drove a rolls royce i remember one time he came to rehearsal in la and he said he for some i've never never saw him do this before or after this but he's like just you know do something like this and he started doing like a movement across the floor and i'm like holy cow like 
he can move and he's graceful and I can't believe how chubby he is and he could still move like that. I was just kind of astounded. Wow. Uh, anyway. Well, I don't know if you remember this. I'm going to do probably we should move out of Puerto Rico, but we also had really great people that lived above because we were friends of the people at the ice skating show. And we had Roy and Greg that lived above us. And it's like, I remember, do not that, remember. don't remember them. I think it might, maybe after you, we, I think might've hung out with them more after, but I don't know if you remember this. I think you were still there or the coconuts when they're in the hard outside thing that one of us would go on the balcony and drop it like 14 floors. The other one would go down and get it and then bring it back up. We, we would drop it like five or six times to open coconuts. Sorry. I, I think together collectively, if we put all of our memories together, we can somehow piece together what life. Cause I really have a lot of big gaps in Puerto Rico. I just remember I would take class and I love taking from Rosita. And then there was Rose, somebody, but getting there was scary. It was just a really scary part of town, but I wanted to take class so bad. I remember taking class in, um, and, and, and it was all in Spanish. Yeah. I learned Spanish really well. I, I was once in a while, I will teach something in my class and it will come out in Spanish. Cabeza is good. And I don't know, I don't speak at any other time, but that's how I learned it. And it will come out. And people will look at me. Are you speaking in tongues? <laughs> it's like, I don't know why that will just, that will come out. That's funny. I think um, we got a little bit like backstage was also like, they would speak like Spanglish. Like it would be, just like English and Spanish thrown in there. So you could have conversations and pick up most of it. But we did have a lot of Spanish speaking people backstage. I remember going to a gay bar too. With, yes. Yeah. Donnie and. Cook, oh, Cookie. Cookie and Donnie. Yeah. I can't remember the other. Man, I pulled up the pictures and trying to remember names. So you left to have your daughter. Yeah. So did you take a break from doing shows after that? Uh, no. Uh, I left, I went to Reno to try to make things work with the dad. And it was a no, it was very obvious. It was obvious the day one, but it was very obvious that it was a no-go. And so then um, I called a friend in Vegas and I said, this is not working. Like she knew my story and everything. I said, this is not going to work. And so I hopped a bus and I went and lived with her in a studio apartment and lived on her, slept on her couch until wow. we could like figure out how to get a two-bedroom apartment which we did then um I had my daughter and uh six weeks later I was at the cattle call audition again and um three months later I was back I was in the show it's three after having a baby yeah and I, you went in as a dance a dancer as a bluebell yeah wow yeah. how was I've talked to a few people that had babies during that time because the hours are so crazy of being a performer not getting home till three four in the morning yeah. for childcare. like what did you what did you do that was like one of the worst things the one of the worst parts and I had friends that during time periods they would they would um help me um and then you know it gets sometimes it gets to be too much you know and then so then I would have to I, I just was always kind of rotating and I had friends that would help me for time and then they would want to not help it wasn't personal. It's just, you know, it gets to be a lot and you're working six days a week. And um, so then I'd have other times, you know, I took my daughter to a daycare center that was open 24 hours and they were, my daughter was so precious that she got a lot of special attention. Um, but um, they also had an outbreak of hepatitis. So we both got hepatitis during that time. That oh my gosh. With the Moulin Rouge, but uh, anyway, so there are those type of things that happened, but daycare was really tough because then when she starts going to school and you're doing these late hours and so you were you were still performing all this and then when did you have your son uh in 91 and you were still performing he was born in 81 he was born in 91 yes I continued to perform until 02 wow yeah and then you went in as a singer because that's what I think I saw like singer I didn't know you were a singer yeah how did that come about when well uh so when he it was before he was born, I, tra I transferred over. I just, um, as I said earlier, um, I um, just realized one day I was in my 30s and I really loved what I was doing. And I realized that I had a voice and that I just, it just came to me one day. It's like, if I don't try to be a singer, um, not, not just because I wanted to stay, but just because I thought if I don't just try, 
um, I, this is something I just knew it was something I would regret. And so I studied, I kind of got my chops back in order from chop from like late teenage years. I studied for about six months and I prepared an audition and uh, I got the job, just went transferred from dancer room to, to singer room. Yeah. Is, is there also that like you had to earn your right to be a singer? Well, I think everybody, in their in their eyes, is that is there yeah. that kind of vibe too? Uh, I think everybody who goes into any room has to. It's like you know, it's like today. Uh, you know, in our era, and I don't know how you probably know more about this than I do, but I felt like it was like you can say every all you want in the dressing room, but when you get on on stage, you better put out or shut up. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you cannot do it, then you better shut up. And I think dancers are very much that way. Um, but I think that everybody has to earn their stripes no matter where they go. And I, and I certainly had to earn mine over the course of many years. And, you know, uh, sometimes when I would, if I left and came back, like when I went to the Mulan came back, let's put me in the third line. I was in the back. And she oh. let me feel like what it was like to be back there. And then she moved me up after a contract. But, um, you know, everybody has to earn their stripes. And that was one thing I noticed singers more were pissed off if they didn't get to do this or that that they wanted to do. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just feel like looking at them going, get in line, get in line. Everybody yeah. has to do that. You know what I mean? Well, it's interesting too, when I did cruise ships that, the dancers get paid a little less. We would share a cabin and the singers would get their own cabin. And we kind of went along with it and went, wait a minute, we're working just as hard. But I think as dancers, you kind of are used to taking the crumbs, <laughs> you know, you're just so happy to work that dancers will work for free. Cause like, I just want the experience. And so it's not till later that you realize, oh, I can actually ask for a raise or I can ask for a better position. I know there were dancers in all those big shows that principal was their whole desire and they'll do what they need to go. And then I was just so happy to be in the show. I like being backstage. I had no aspiration to being a principal. I knew that was not achievable. So in smaller shows, I got to you know do a little bit more. But I just, I didn't feel that. But I know even within the, the dance world, maybe a little bit. But I mean, the singers were right on the other side of our wall. And I knew some, like Debbie DeCoudre would come in our room and there was some that would swing. And Laura Pearson, I think, because she would swing tall nudes once in a while. Like they, they were like, I want to, so it was kind of, they could go the other way, but I'm just, that's interesting because I think if they knew you were a dancer before, if it was like, if there would be any kind of like looking down the nose at somebody if they. No. Uh, okay. Debbie DeCudro is just a goddess. She's amazing. Oh yeah. I got to hang out with her. I did a, a showgirl road trip this summer. I saw that. I remember. It was so that. great. I, I think she's awesome. Yeah. She's, we went to dinner. It was just so funny because she. I know to some people they talk about her as this goddess, like when she was in the Mulan, she was the vedette. And I, and I'm like, but she's so humble. She's funny. And she's a teacher now too. So it's really fun to, to hear. So I want to hear about that because what happens after you're not a, a performer anymore? Like what, what, what is that career change? I know like some of the younger performers listen to this that are at the Lido now and it's okay. What does this look like? Cause I think a lot of us weren't prepared or there's no off ramp that you thought about because you're just going to do it till you someone. There's no way you can explain it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do regret because I knew dancers who, and I knew entertainers when I was in Jubilee that went to school and maybe they were just, and I just thought, damn, darn it. You know, if I had just taken one class a semester, it would have been so achievable. It, you know, I was very busy with kids, but it would have been so achievable. I mean, one class. But I didn't, I waited, you know, um, and I think that was really, really smart to do that. Like just go to school, you know, uh, anyway, I think that's a really smart thing to do. But I was always afraid of making a bad choice too. Like, oh, mm. I don't want to choose a direction. How can I choose a direction, you know? But I could have done general requirements for years, you know, so I don't know. I started in Hello Hollywood, people going to school. I'm like, well, you're making good money. You have your daytime free. But not raising children and doing that at the same time. Raising children is his own full-time exhausting job, especially with the hours that yeah. are going against each other of your work schedule and their school and waking hours. Yes. So how did you, how, what got you back into school to, and to make your choice to go for teaching? Um, I just, I needed to, I just was like, okay, it's really weird. You know, I was in that entertainment from 19 to 45 that's a long time. Wow. 
uh, yeah, you come out of that, like, you know, and, and you just, I, I, I had no, I was just so lost. I was like, who am I? Like, what, you know, mm. if I'm not that, who am I? You know what I yeah. mean? And it took a while. And you were said something earlier about the grieving process. I did not go back to Vegas for a couple years because it just hurt to think about it. It's, yeah. and it's not that I was like, oh, why aren't I, why can't I still be there? I never, I was like done. I, I had a moment uh, one day before work when I knew change was coming. I just, it was just like something that clicked in my head and I went, uh-oh, change is coming. And um, I actually had an injury that just couldn't be dealt with. And so that's what kicked me out, but it, the change was coming anyway. But um, it was very, I, I, I didn't want to be in the show anymore. I was done. I was done, but I didn't know who I was. And it just hurt to think about it. It was like, yeah. it was like, good, those were really good times that I, and I loved it. I mean, there were hard days. There were bad days at work where things were difficult, but you got through them and they were so few and far between the, the really fun times. I mean, there's nothing better than movement. Yeah. There's something of doing the podcast because I had had shame about being topless and like, this has been healing retroactively for me to go back and realize how wonderful that was. Cause I was, I was done also like needed to do some grieving, but I think, I feel like I wished I would have done it longer, but I think it's when it's gone, you realize. And then the identity part is I think the biggest part, if I'm not that, cause then I start teaching and then, you know, like I'm not a teacher. Who am I? So like, Oh, I have to figure out who I am without my career. My career is not who I am, but it's a really hard thing. If that's been your identity, what do you do? I'm a dancer. I'm a singer. I'm a performer. So teaching you had had, had you, you'd had some college before going back to school, right? Like right, yeah, okay. about a year and a half, about three semesters when I came out of high school, because I hadn't, I didn't, hadn't even heard of Vegas or production shows or, you know, any of that. So you, you're a teacher of, of the high school. Yeah. Hence the Shakespeare insults. And we, we didn't record this part when we were talking earlier of just doing that through COVID. And I just feel really bad for educators of having to figure out, like, I didn't know it. I started doing my podcast soon after, like I learned zoom, I'm just doing one-on-one, but to think of teachers, like we tried doing it from the studio and like you drop the internet, like there were so many complications and we got better at it, but that first scramble yeah. to figure out how to do this. And, you know, like kids need to, to have that interaction. They need to have something going on in this craziness. How, how has that been? Do you, do you feel like you are a teacher? Does that feel like that satisfies a part of you? Uh, it's so, I just, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how challenging it, how time consuming it is, how challenging it is. Um, how many sleepless nights there are not sleepless completely, but waking up in the middle of the night, worrying about things. There was a, there was a confrontation in class, or I have to figure out how to do this or how to do that. I mean, I, you just get so it's so consuming. Um, and it just becomes like doing anything extra is just takes, you start thinking in terms of conservation. You know, even yeah. now, I think in terms of like, because I was reading something over the break, over the winter break, and I was think it was talking about how to structure your classes so that you're, you're not exhausted after the first couple so that you can like, and I think of terms of like, you know, conserving my energy and, and, and sometimes it's just not possible. And, you know, the kids, their children they haven't, many of them haven't learned how to just be decent adults yet. Um, they, they, you know, and I'm not worried about that because as you and I know, life will teach them, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot. And I teach seniors, um, you know, it, it's just very consuming. So that I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. And you're trying to do it in a pandemic. I just think of like that first year, like kids were graduating without in oh. person and oh yeah all the things we that your seniors they, we were all online and they I was at a different school and they didn't even have a graduation ceremony they drove down to the school and teachers stood outside 
with masks on and handed them uh, like it was almost like a parade, handing them uh, diplomas. So it was very jolting and jarring for them um, and very sad for them. Um, and I have, I actually have a girl that just, just, she befriended me. She was in my first semester, my first year when it was just insane because nobody can prepare you for this, a room full right. of this. And she is now um, on scholarship at Arizona State University for automotive engineering. And so she always <laughs> keeps in touch with me. I know she's remarkable, but she graduated that year, um, which is remarkable. Then, you know, it's like funny because this fall I had started having kids like whining and talk, yeah, all this crap. I don't want to be here, that type of stuff. And I'm like, do you recall that a year ago you couldn't, you were, you were grieving the fact that you were not here and now you're complaining about it. Do you remember that? And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Anyway. So um, mm -hmm. I don't even know how to talk about it. It's, it's, I keep thinking if I just, do it better. I won't be so consumed and exhausted all the time. I think it's just, I, I know a lot of parents that have said like when they've been trying to help their kids online, they have a different appreciation of what teachers do. And if, of course it's exhausting. I have one guy I interviewed. I love him. He was saying he talked to parents who, after they were home with their kids, like it's, it's come to Jesus time over COVID. Like he, the way he said it cracked me he goes my kids an asshole and they started writing apology cards to the teachers like my kids entitled i did that and so i think that you know for parents to have to try to do it themselves and to go oh thank god for teachers and i know people appreciated nurses and teachers for a while and then it's like well no you need to babysit my kids and we've seen all the ugly and all the good through this pandemic but i i can imagine that it's exhausting of just how teenagers are wonderful but exhausting and your responsibility, but also like what they're going to remember of going through a pandemic is probably going to be some teachers that were somewhat present and got them through this. Yeah. Um, I, now we're just, we're in person and it's just back to business as usual. And, um, and uh, you know, I wear a mask every day. I know Arizona, because Washington is very strict. And so we, like my studio, everybody has to be vaccinated to come in. We all wear masks and then people say they go over to Idaho and it's like, oh, there's no, okay, never mind. It's just state by state. We're dealing with it different. And to be responsible, you know, and have these kids come in that have to follow more rules. I just think it would be a real challenge. And when life is already hard enough to be a teenager. And I know a lot of people over this winter break that teachers and then personal friends that have come, they're vaccinated and they've still come down with COVID. Yeah. The break. So um, you know what? I, I want to avoid. I actually, I had COVID. I had COVID in June uh, of 2020, and I was hospitalized. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, and I do not want to get any form of it again. <laughs> yeah, that's like they're saying going back to school. Like I live by a private school, and the drive the line of cars is huge because they want to get tested before they go back in. I didn't know like why are all these cars here, but they're, they're you know like. We're going back to school. We're putting them right back in after, oh, you know, travel. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if it was by choice. The parents want to do that, but yeah, because we, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And I just think like, I'm dealing with my studio, but it feels different than if I was a teacher with that in person, if people want to comply or not. And if you, I don't know, like if, if you're dealing with parents, but I just feel like it's, it's just a lot for the education system right now. It's shown where we need more help and exposed it and, you know, what would it take to change to get better for teachers? So we're going to end here, but I have a question for you because you posted something the other day about having a dream about doing Tiller, which cracked me. I'm trying to find video. There, there is a video of Hello Hollywood Hello, but there's it has Tiller out. It's after the Furcos came in. I want to see Tiller. And so I've been thinking about it. So when you posted that, I'm like, could I remember any of it? I just know we kicked, but I, I want to. I, I was talking about the Tiller at Jubilee. Oh, the till. Okay. That was the red and blue. And blue. Yeah. Yeah. I do not. There's no way I could remember. I was in Reno for six months. That's it. Oh, that was it. Oh, really? Yeah. So you were, I was there a year. So you and I overlapped that last, my last six months. Yeah. But then I, then I was scrolling through because I was looking for pictures because I always stalk people before I interviewed them. And you had another dream that you posted. You just had a dream about something because I love to ask that because it really is telling 
so what what kind of show dreams do you have and what's happening in them oh, they're usually very and, and my friends uh from jubilee like we all kind of have similar dreams like it's always you uh i think the 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 craziest one or the one that seems parts of it always seem to show up is like you're downstairs you can't change fast enough and then you get upstairs and the number's over and then you got to go downstairs again and you start changing and trying to get and then it just keeps like cycling around and then in the one dream I had this was the strongest one with all this action someone came up to me she's fluffs looking for you <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I never have singer dreams knock on wood it's always like dancer dreams I just so identified with being a dancer I really yeah. did I loved being a dancer hmm. and you did it so how long was your 19 to 45 you were professional singer dancer in those big shows yeah I think you win like Liz Elliott I think made it went to 40 something you worked with her in, in probably Jubilee and Hello Hollywood, right? Because I know yeah, she did both. Yeah. And Leslie as well. Yeah. Both and it's exquisitely beautiful performers, entertainers. Both of them, I think, were so, I mean, you think about it, how much energy, how much, how much you have to have to communicate. And Liz Elliott, so she's tiny. How, how much energy, how big your energy has to be to communicate on a stage that size. I, yeah. In yeah. the middle of all of that going on. And she, I remember her. I remember both of them. I was like, I, I probably, you know, what, Leslie Bandy wouldn't have allowed it, but I, I just was like, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? And I remember Liz coming out the very first time I saw the show. It was just that this big white red mouth and just all this energy and this just, they were just exceptional principles, really exceptional. Yeah. Really, really, really. I saw them at the Paris reunion and I, I told them this, I probably said on my interviews too many times, I felt like I was in junior high, like the popular girls, like, can I take a picture with you? I was just so, and they're so goofy. They're both so wonderful. Like they're not what you would think of pretentious. And we've done like a, a tea time the other day and they're both so silly and fun and human. But I said, I would watch them and just think they were from another planet. Like they were just goddesses to me. But I think it's, it was during those shows that made me realize different performance because I, you know, musical theater has a way you perform. So I'm trying to bring this and I'm bringing my own show and I talk about it, but it's just, it's hard to tell. So I show videos or just pictures of these girls. Like what's not, I'm being sexy or I'm being this. There is something of the joy. There's something that, like you said, it has to radiate to the back of the house with 150 people on stage with you and sets and lions and horses and somehow still be able to captivate people. So it's a very different way of performing. Yeah. So as we end, is there anything when you think back of those years that stand out that, that changed your life of being, being a dancer, singer in those shows? any one thing yeah just I just loved being I loved being on stage I loved being a dancer best of all um uh it was fun being a singer um but I just loved being in movement every night it just seemed to solve so many problems and I don't mean to um paint it as something it was not it was a lot of work it was a lifestyle yeah when I was a dancer, I went to class every day. When I was a singer, I worked out and I went to voice once a, once a week, uh, most often. Um, so it was a lifestyle. And my kids, you know, used to say, mom, please don't sing in the car. And I'd stop, <laughs> stop the cassette and I'd say, listen to me. This is how we pay our bills. I'm sorry, but I've got to vocalize on the way to work every day. And I did, I was very ritualistic about all of this, but being on stage and just being in movement. And I, I have one memory, it's very short, but I have one memory um, in the ballroom scene of the Titanic and the singers would come up over the back steps and then stand at the back of the stage. And it was one of my favorite moments because I could see everybody, almost the whole cast was on stage. Most of the cast was on stage and the energy. And I used to stand back there and say, remember this, look at it all. <sighs> 
sets, look at those costumes, look at the lights, look at everything. Remember this because you're not always going to be here. And then, you know, you have to take off and do your bit. But um, I did that several times. Like, I just loved that energy. And, and I was not in front. I was in the back of the stage. And it was just like, oh, my God. Just see it all. So much fun. Oh, my gosh. That's a great way to end because I know want, I hear it a lot of people say they wish they had taken moments to go look at this like remember, feel it because, you know, you're, you could do those shows and think about what you're going to have for dinner or whatever. You can be not there. And so to take those moments, because now that we're going, what do I remember? I have certain things that stand out because I was present for, yeah. that's beautiful. Cause that is a, that's a very different view to be behind it and get to see it. Cause when you're in it, it's just all this craziness going on around you. So what a point, that's a wonderful way to end Michael, Mikey. This was so great. I'm so glad to reconnect and somehow we're going to do it in person. I think you, do you have family up here in Washington at all? I thought you had somebody, I a brother. My brother uh, I have a nephew and his wife and two children. I have a niece. I have another niece with her two children and husband. And I have my brother. Yeah. Okay. If you come up again, we need to, we need to sit down and just I know. have some time. Okay. Mwah. Thank you to you for doing this. And uh, now I'm going to have more memories of Puerto Rico that are going to come up. <laughs> wonderful, crazy time we had there. Okay. Uh, do you want to sing us out, Mikey? Do you want to give us a song? No? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes people will do it when I ask. I'm like, okay, I didn't know you were really going to do that. Okay. So thank you and be well, and we'll see each other in person.